0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, this is Texas, right, that we're living in. I haven't heard a thunderstorm in a long time. Aren't you thankful for the rain? Yes. Get your Bibles out if you would, please. We're starting a new series here this morning that we're calling Real Relationships. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Song of Songs, which is an Old Testament book um, right after the book of Psalms, Song, Song of Songs, chapter 8. You can also follow along on the screen we're going to start here in verse 6 it says this love is invincible facing danger and death passion laughs at the terrors of hell the fire of love stops at nothing it sweeps everything before it flood waters can't drown love torrents of rain can't put it out love can't be bought love can't be sold it's not found in the marketplace now I want you to um, try to put yourself in the position that Solomon is talking about here in these verses. And really the whole um, the book of Song of, Sol- Song of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon is this love story between this man and the woman. It's also an allegory between God's love for us and our love for him. But I want you to think about it kind of in simpler terms because love and relationships, friendships, family, your friends, all those types of things... These are all things I think most of us want to have in our life. There's something just innate in us that wants to love and to receive love. And I think there's also this assumption that we kind of know how to do it well, that these are just things that are automatic um, in our lives. But as well, when you think about these relationships that we have, they can also create the most damage in our lives. Now on the flip of that, when we don't have real healthy relationships in our life, that also creates extraordinary damage as well. And here's the crazy thing about all of this. As a society, we are more connected than ever before. I think about that. From all of society, from all of history, we live in a culture and a time where we are more connected than ever before, but we are lonelier than ever before. Forbes Magazine did an article about this and the Sigma study on loneliness, and it, it said this. It says, if you feel alone, you are not alone in being lonely. Vivek Murthy, the 19th Surgery General of the United States, wrote in a Harvard Business Review article that loneliness is a growing health epidemic. Rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s, and that Today, over 40% of adults in America report feeling lonely, and research suggests that the real number may well be higher. Isn't that interesting? Only 53% have meaningful in-person social interactions, such as having an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with family on a daily basis, only 53%. And the loneliest generation of adults are generation Z or those 18 to 22 years old. A number of studies have shown that feeling lonely is associated with increased risks of health problems such as coronary artery disease, declines in motor functions and frailty as well as earlier death. Of course, this can be a chicken and egg problem, meaning that it is not completely clear what's the cause and what's the effect rather than it being caused by eating chickens and eggs. Are health problems leading to loneliness or vice versa? What other factors may be mediating these effects? For example, could bad work environments be leading to both health-threatening stress and lack of social interactions? Of course, you can blame individuals for the loneliness epidemic, thus making them feel more alone, and tell people to make friends, talk to more people, and drink more so that you become an entertaining spectacle at the holiday party. But the fact that loneliness has been steadily increasing since the 1980s, which incidentally parallels the rise of other major public health problems, such as obesity, suggests that loneliness epidemic may be a systems problem rather than just an individual problem. It is time to look more closely at what aspects of our communities, our schools, our workplaces, and our society may be contributing to loneliness. For example... Our towns and cities are being designed in ways that inhibit mixing among people. Our workplaces becoming less inclusive. How about schools, sports, and social activities? Our entertainment, hobbies, gatherings, and modes of communication discouraging real meaningful interactions, exchanging emojis or likes is not meaningful, and preventing people from really getting to know each other or societal expectations and barriers inhibiting people from expressing and addressing their loneliness. Systems problems require systems approach and solutions. Perhaps every workplace and community should do some type of loneliness assessment to determine what systems problems may be contributing to separation, segregation, and alienation. After all, ultimately, loneliness is not a problem that should be dealt with alone. Well, I want you to think about this, because I think this is particularly interesting, specifically for us in this Austin area, because Austin is the number one city where loneliness is the highest percentage in the country. We'll get that in the weeks to come, but it is, it is something that is, affects really strongly the culture in which we live in it today. But this article suggests that this loneliness epidemic, is there's just something wrong with our systems and our structures that we have in the world today. And that might be true. It might be true that there is a systems and a structural problem in how we do our cities and how we do our workplaces. But to me, I think this is even greater of a spiritual, maybe even a demonic issue intentionally geared to isolate people. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. If you've ever watched National Geographic then you know that every predator's strategy in catching their next meal is to get that animal separated from the herd. That's their strategy for in order to be able to get their next meal. And let me suggest to you, that's exactly the devil's strategy in destroying your life. The devil wants to get you separated and isolated all there alone, because that's where he can do the most damage in your life. And and so, That's why I believe that we, as people of God, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think this is where we have to step into the story. We have to get involved with what's happening in our culture today and influence the people who are around us and to become actual agents of change in this divisive and disconnected and this lonely culture that we find ourselves in. Because when you think about it, good relationships don't begin with others. It begins with us. That's where all this begins. It begins with us. It's not they out there who need to do better. It's not you that I need to begin with. It is me. Because God's call has always been on a people who are at peace with themselves. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus said it this way. He said, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. And so if you want to have a profound purpose, if you want to make a difference in the culture, in the community, and your neighborhood, your workplace, your school that you live in, if you want to have great friends in your life, if you want to actually counter this loneliness that plagues our culture today, then the answer is to walk in this peace that Jesus was describing here, this peace that he wants to actually give you, this peace that counters whatever situation that you currently find yourself in, this peace that will actually guard and protect your heart and your mind. See, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor. Now, how many of you have heard of these verses before? Let me, let me see your hands here. So all of you raising your hand, you've heard these verses here that Jesus describes. It's called the first commandment, and the greatest commandment, and the second commandment here. And it's a pretty big deal because in verse 40, he goes on and says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, there's no other command in the Bible that's greater than these two Everything in the Bible hinges, the entire Bible hinges on these two commandments. Everything that God has for you is contained in these two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. But I want you to notice here this morning that this is not actually complete. Because if you love God and love your neighbor, there's something missing here Because how you love others is determined by one really important factor. Look again, verse 39. It says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor how? How? As yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the measurement for loving others, the determination that or the description that determines how we are to love others is how well you love yourself. Now, I want you to kind of be thinking about that here this morning as I'm talking here because I don't think we give this enough attention because Jesus is describing that our ability to love others first and foremost comes from how well we're doing in loving ourselves. And so this morning I want to challenge you to think deeply about yourself. I want to give you permission to think about what's going on on the inside of you, what's actually happening inside of your head and your emotions, what's actually going on on the inside of you. So I want you to think deeply about yourself, not in a selfie kind of way. You know, that's kind of how our culture thinks about self right now. It's from the selfie perspective. You know what I'm talking about here? I want you to listen to this article, Anna Hart. As a fashions and travel and lifestyle journalist. She said it this way. She writes, "'What on earth were you thinking? "'I'm looking at my husband's Instagram feed "'where a picture of me is shivering in a wetsuit, "'stares back at me, hair flat against my face, "'makeup-free, bum-blocking the beach. "'I was thinking you looked really happy,' he says, wounded. "'As I try to explain why I'm reacting like a celebrity "'who's just spotted a paparazzi up a tree, "'how this photo amounts to career suicide and even defamation,' I realize that his is, of course, the saner voice. But these days, mine is the normal voice. Most women, I know, would react the same way. In the age of social media and selfies, it's become natural to meticulously police images of ourselves. I've never thought of myself as high-maintenance. I mean, I go make up free on holidays, can get ready up for a night out in under 15 minutes, and never expect to look better than passable. Yet I know my good angles i perfected a selfie smile, and I've preferred Instagram filters. I'm not the only one. Vanity has exploded on an epic scale. Facebook has responded to and perhaps even enabled our burgeoning control freakery. Today, we can opt into a setting that requires our approval before we can get tagged. Instagram, as well as being a sharing platform, amounts to airbrushing for amateurs, allowing us all to select the most flattering filter, To disguise our hangovers, wrinkles and extra pounds with cunning shadows. And there are apps and services that take this further. Photo Wonder, which has more than 100 million users, has Slimify, Blemish Fix, and Makeup Options. Everybody's writing that down. They want to make sure they (laughs) add that as an app, right? Facetune can wipe out your wrinkles. (laughs) Monkey will whiten your teeth and give you a spray tan. The Backlash app, perhaps a Snapchat, a picture-sharing service where photos disappear 10 seconds after they've been opened, liberating us from preciousness. Come on, you know what I'm talking about here? The selfie culture. That's kind of how we're reduced to when we think about ourselves. I have a video I want you to watch that I think kind of really describes this in in detail. So turn your attention to this screen. Let's watch this together. Bottom four, Chase Field, Evacs.
1: Tweet us their fan photo, BB. Now's the time, fans. Uh, get on the uh, Twitter with a hashtag of the whole thing, fan. Then you might see your fan photo at a Diamondback TV broadcast brought to you by T-Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, look at the one on the right. Do you have to Would make faces when you take selfies? Wait, one more now.
0: Oh, <laughs> Better anger.
1: Oh, check it the best one of the 300 pictures I've taken myself today. Every girl in the picture is locked into her phone. Every single one is dialed in. Welcome to parenting in 2015. They're all just completely transfixed by the technology. David Perlman. (laughs) Hold on, i take a selfie with the hot dog. Selfie with the churro. Selfie just of a selfie can't even get my phone to take pictures. <laughs> Took a picture of your thumb last week. That was good. <laughs> Here's my first bite of the churro. Here's my second bite of the churro. <laughs> you know, the beauty of baseball is you can sit next to your neighbor and have a conversation. Or you can just completely ignore them. Peralta! knocks it into center, David, tonight. Two for two, a leadoff single here in the fourth. And nobody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> help us, please. Somebody help us. Yeah. We need to. Can we do an intervention? How about if we send Baxter out there and he just collects all the phones? <laughs> You're not getting them back to the end of the game.
0: All right, I had to show that. It's a little bit old, but I think it's, it shows the whole point I'm talking about. And that's not really what we're talking about when I ask you to think about yourself deeply. I'm not talking to think about it in a selfie type of way. I'm talking to actually to think about what's going on on the inside of you because every one of us has a relationship with ourself and with God that then determines and affects, either helps or hinders how we relate to others. And so, in order to have a real healthy relationship, I think we have to start with some questions about ourselves. And the first question I need to ask myself is, number one, do I think I'm high maintenance? (laughs) Do I think I'm high maintenance? To which most of us are going to think, uh-uh, not not, not me. (laughs) I'm not high maintenance. Debbie is high maintenance. I mean, she's the one, but not me. Or my neighbor is high maintenance. But I'm not the one who is high maintenance. I think that's the way we tend to think, right? But let me kind of pop your bubble here this morning because the reality is that you are high maintenance. You are high maintenance. I mean, think about all the needs that you have. You need oxygen, you need water, you need food, you need sleep, you need clothing, you need emotional support, you need intellectual stimulation. you have your own likes and dislikes. The reality is you are needy. You are incredibly needy. Every single one of us are. But here's the thing we need to understand. Having needs doesn't make you dangerous. Having needs doesn't make you damage. It doesn't even make you drink. Having needs makes you human. <laughs> Welcome to the human race, everybody. Having needs makes you human. We were designed with having needs. I looked up the definition of high maintenance, and high maintenance is not just a TV show about needy pot-smoking people in Brooklyn. High maintenance means this, needing a lot of work to keep in good condition. Needing a lot of, go- lot of work to keep in good condition. I think that's true of every single one of us, right? Come on, you can admit it. We all need a lot of work to keep ourselves in good running condition. In Psalms 139 verse 13, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and nipped me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I think we really have no idea of how brilliantly we have been created But the reality is before you can really love others well, you have to own the fact that you do have needs. But here's the amazing thing about all of this, and that is God loves to meet your needs. God actually loves to meet your needs. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6 verse 7. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And so God knows your needs. God knows what it is that you need. And that's not just theological. That's extremely and entirely relational because God's the one who created you. And he created you with needs. And he is obsessively watching over you to actually meet those needs. The Apostle Paul, he said it this way in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind um, as you live in, in Christ Jesus. And so when you admit your needs to God, God doesn't get frustrated with you. Did you hear me? God doesn't get angry with you. He doesn't get frustrated with you when you admit your needs. Like, it's not like he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you believe? Can you believe what Brian needs now? I mean, come on. He should be a lot more along in this process here. I mean, come on. Floyd just turned 88 years old this week, by the way, everybody. Happy birthday, Floyd. But you would think, Jesus, by all this time, he would stop being a needy person. He should be self-sufficient, right? God doesn't do that, everybody. God's not frustrated with you and your needs. He doesn't get angry with you when you admit your needs to God. He gets fatherly with you because he loves to meet your needs. And the sooner you realize that by design you're needy, the sooner you'll understand that God is the one who wants to meet your needs, and the sooner then you'll be able to be a good steward of those needs that you have in your life. Think about it this way. If you want to go anywhere in your car, what does your car need? It needs gas, right? And so, you, you, don't, you don't walk in to your garage and look at your tank and see that it's empty and begin to slap your car upside down and kick its tires and say, what in the world, car? You're such a stupid vehicle. I can't believe you're so needy. I've got to fill you up all the time. You're, you're, I, I'm tired of your whiny needs all the time. You're, it's too much. It costs me too much to fill you up. We don't do that with our car, right? Right? Am I, am I confused? Do you actually do that? Well, that's a different different message, I think, but the reason why we don't do that is because your car needs gas in order to go anywhere. It is how it was created. Listen, folks, you were created with needs. You are high. Maintenance. I think so many of us, we just don't get it, and we're pretending to to the world that everything's okay. I'm not needy, but you are needy. You are high maintenance. Can you say this out loud with me? Just repeat this after me. I'm seriously high maintenance. maintenance. Say it again. I'm seriously seriously. high maintenance. maintenance. One more time. I'm seriously seriously. high high maintenance. Now turn to your neighbor. Look at your neighbor in the eyes. Tell your neighbor you're seriously high maintenance. That was a little bit easier to do, wasn't it? <laughs> but doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it actually feel good to realize our neediness? So I think, I think we tend to kind of minimalize this and think it's whiny to admit our needs, but it's not. It's our neediness that is the secret to understanding the gospel and God's love for you. If you don't understand your neediest, you'll never need or want God and so we have to settle it we need God we are needy and God wants to meet those needs and God then wants to use you with your needs being met then to help meet the needs of other people and so you are high maintenance the second question that we need to ask myself is do I have a healthy relational rhythm do I have a healthy relational rhythm and I think too often, so many of us, we tend to live our lives by the crisis of the urgent. You know what I'm talking about? Our calendars get so jammed packed with school events and sports and work and... This person's expectations and this person's desires of me. And our calendars are just jam-packed by the crisis of the urgent. And so the idea of adding even just one more thing to our already jam-packed calendars seems absolutely overwhelming and completely impossible. How many know exactly what I'm talking about? Too many of us, we tend to live our lives that way. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus has a different way for us to live. He has a different priority for how we are to live our lives in order to create these real healthy relational rhythms in our lives. Matthew 6 verse 33, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Again, we have needs. Jesus said, let's restructure, let's reprioritize our lives. Because too often our lives revolve around our calendar instead of our creator. Hello. 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 Too often, let me say it again in case you missed it. Too often our lives revolve around our calendar instead of our creator. And when that happens, our relational rhythm gets completely messed up. And so Jesus said in establishing a healthy relational rhythm, our first relationship that has to be inserted into our life is God. So you wipe your calendar clean. You start all over And the first thing that you insert into your rhythm is God. That's the first thing that gets inserted. Because our relationship with God then determines how we schedule our lives. Our relationship with God then determines our capacity for what else we can add then into our lives. These needs that need to be met. And then the second thing that needs to be inserted into our lives, into this rhythm, is our relationship with others. When you're starting, you're getting your calendar all clean, you're starting fresh, the first thing we insert is God, and then the second thing we insert are healthy, godly relationships into our life. Because remember, the commandment is twofold. We're designed to be in relationship with God, and we're designed to be in relationship with others. And so those are the first things that we insert into our life. And then we add all the other stuff into our lives. And so let me ask you a question here this morning, and that is, do you have healthy relational rhythm with God and with others? Is that priority set in your life or is it something you're just trying to add into your already hectic, challenging schedule? Because if you don't have a healthy relational rhythm with God and with others, if you don't live your life on this God-given beat, then life will beat you up. Life will beat you up and it will beat you up through busyness. It'll beat you up through isolation. It will beat you up through fear and anxiety and worry. That's how life will beat you up when these priorities get out of order. Which is why we do things like what we're doing here today. Where we take the time as a church to focus on the importance of grouping together with each other. We call them just small groups, we call it catalysts. All these different groups that are having financial peace and these women's Bible studies, these men's Bible studies, and these different gatherings of people together because these are the things that have to be inserted into our life first. We insert God into our life first, and then we insert these godly relational things because every one of us needs six to eight people where we're connecting together, moving together in our, in our relationship with God. Where you, have, where you have these people who are praying for you and you're praying for them. Where you're moving together in life, they know what's going on in your life, and you know what's going on in their life. Where you have these people in your life who will actually hold you up when a crisis comes. And one of the greatest tragedies that I witness as a pastor are people who, who walk into a crisis and have not established this godly, healthy rhythm in their life with God and with others. And the end result is they're out there all alone trying to walk through a crisis. Let me suggest to you, let me not suggest, let me tell you, you will experience crisis at some point in your life you're going to experience a crisis Jesus said it himself in this life you're going to have difficulty right and so you're going to experience crisis and I think so often in our head We don't navigate our life. We don't put it into the equation of our life that a crisis will happen. We're just kind of surviving, getting through the thing. And our calendars are jam-packed. And we haven't put God in the right place. We haven't put others in the right place. A crisis hits, and now you're out there alone. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But listen to this. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. You see what he's saying? We need people who are there in our life to pick us up. But if you haven't prioritized your life in the right godly way, if you haven't created this godly rhythm to your life, then when crisis comes, you're going to be all along. And the writer says, all there is is pity. Pity the man. Hopefully somebody will have mercy on you versus having strength around you when you hit crisis. Today, we're coming around two families who are walking through crisis. Many of you know Dick and Nancy um, Pickens, and Nancy has been around here. She's one of our, our, our leaders on our spiritual lead team, and she's been lit, um, leading a women's Bible studies um, longer than probably a lot of you are even alive. Uh, they're, they're part of our core of who we are as a church, and and she fought off cancer several years ago, and, it, and cancer's back knocking on her door, and she's having to fight again. And uh, it's hard. It's difficult. You know, you, you, know, you walk through cancer. know this is something that engages everything, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and also financially, and it's playing a toll on Dick and Nancy. And so we're coming around the Pickens here today. Also with Jonathan and Amber Clark. They just two, two, about two weeks ago, they found out their, their six-year-old daughter, Lily, has leukemia, And they're walking through this crisis as a family. But when you talk with Jonathan and Amber at any time, um, you're going to hear this from them. You're going to hear how much they have felt your prayers, how much they have felt your support and your love and your care of, of them as they're walking through this crisis. And because of that, because all these things are surrounding them, they're able to give their full attention to their daughter and to their family as they walk through this crisis. We're coming along, both of these families, and let me suggest to you and tell you that these two families have done it well. They have built in these relational, godly rhythms into their life. And so as they fight crisis, they're not alone. They're surrounded by a community of people who are loving them, who are praying for them. And what we're doing today is that we're financially contributing towards them. We're being generous We have a family in the church that's doing all the cooking and all the food or donating all all this. And so when you walk out of here and you get your whole load of brisket and barbecue or, or your breakfast tacos or whatever, load yourself up and then give generously because all the money is going to help these two families who are walking through this crisis. We're doing this because this is what it means to have this relational, this godly relational rhythm in our lives. And we all need that. And then here's the third question that I need to ask myself. And that's number three, do I understand what God is asking of me? Do I understand uh, what God is asking of me? Now, do any of you know what the first question that was asked in the Bible is? Any of you know what the first question is? It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 2. It says, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden?'" That's the first question ever asked in the Bible. Did God really say? Now, who was asking that question? It was the serpent, Satan, the devil. He was asking Eve that question. Listen, folks, this is one of the top plays that the devil has in his handbook to try to destroy your life, to try to get you to question and to second-guess God's involvement in your life. Do you really believe God knows what you need. Do you really think that God sees you and what you're going through? Do you really think that God can step into your circumstance and work in that circumstance and bring healing, bring provision, bring order into you? Are you really, can you really trust God? Does He really love you, or maybe He's just forgotten? These are this is the devil's tactics to get you isolated and separated—not just from God, but... From others, because when you think about it, loneliness and isolation and fear and shame and disconnection and depression ultimately has its roots in doubt and unbelief. Did God really say? It's this doubt that He puts inside of us. But there's another question that's so important for us to understand, and it's the second question that's asked in the Bible. It's in Genesis 3, starting in verse 8. It says, And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? This is the second question that's asked in the entire Bible. Now think about this. Because did God know where Adam was? Yes. Yeah, he's God, right? And so this wasn't a locational question. This was an emotional question. And look at how Adam responds to this question, verse 10. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam's answer was, I was afraid, so I hid. See, God's asking this question, where are you? It wasn't a locational question. It was an emotional question. And so let me ask you that question here this morning. Where are you? Where are you? If you would, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please. Because we're going we're gonna to finish here with just kind of letting the, the Holy Spirit just work in our lives and letting worship kind of, move us in that direction. I want you to just close your eyes because I don't want you to think about anybody else. I just want you to think about what's going on in your own life. And I want you to think about the condition of your soul. What's really going on on the inside of you? I mean, are, are, are you lonely? Are you one of those that just feels isolated and completely out there alone? Are you full of fear? and anxiety, and worry? Are you full of shame? Are you disconnected? Are you depressed? Where are you? God's asking that question, just where are you? I want you to think about that relational rhythm in your life. And where is God in the middle of all your busyness and your schedule and your calendar? I mean, are you spending time with God every day? Has he been inserted first in your life? And do you have people that you've intentionally, proactively inserted into your life that you can tell anything to and they will still love you? Are you able to process all the dynamics of your life with God and with someone who actually really cares about you? Are there people in your life who you're growing with spiritually? Do you have people in your life who will pick you up and hold you up when crisis comes? Do you have God and good friends helping to meet your spiritual needs and your emotional needs and your physical needs and your relational needs and your financial needs and your professional needs? What's going on on the inside of you? Because it's not your neediness that's the issue. It's not paying attention to your neediness. That's what's so incredibly destructive. And here's what you need to know. God wants to step into the middle of your life. God wants to step into what's really going on on the inside of you. God wants to step into your isolation. God wants to step into your temptations. God wants to step into your depression. God wants to step into your feelings of hopelessness. God wants to step into those fears and those worries and those anxious things that are consuming you. God wants to step into the messiness of of your life and bring order and healing and purpose. And so right where you are, right where you are, would you just open up your life to him? Instead of running away, instead of hiding, instead of ignoring and pretending it's just no big deal, instead of trying to justify things, Would you just open up your whole life to God? Father, all around this room, we want to respond to that question, where are you? In our fast-paced culture, in our fast-paced life, that just causing us to move from one thing to another, we pause in this moment to hear your question where are you and then in honesty respond to that question with whatever we're going through with whatever what's going on to respond to you so God all across the room that's what we do we just open up our heart, we open up our lives, we open up the messiness of our thoughts and our emotions we open those things, we don't hide it but we just lay it bare before you and ask that you would enter into that spot with us that God you would begin to recreate order And just as the rains outside are washing this earth, that God, that your rain of your spirit would begin to wash our hearts and our minds. If you would, I want to ask you just to do something, if you would and you're able. I want you to just slip out of your chair and maybe slip down to your knees. Because I want to just kind of lead you in this moment. I think there's something that we miss because we don't want to be high maintenance do we <laughs> we want to be proud we want to have it together we want to be okay but there's something about this action this physical action of kneeling that opens the door of humility where we humble ourselves. And instead of propping ourselves up, we actually humble ourselves before God. And so, Father, right here, as we kneel before you, as we fight with our pride and we fight with trying to be okay, Lord, here in this moment, we just kind of let go of all that to surrender all that we are, all our hopes, all of our dreams, all the things that we're facing. We just, we bring those to your altar. We bring them before you. The worship team is just going to lead us in worship here for a time and I want to encourage you to just continue to open up your heart and your mind your thoughts, your life, whatever's going on, the good, the bad, the ugly the things you rejoice in, the things that are eating at you, just to let this moment happen between you and God, to let him come in to every aspect of your life. We have communion also up front as part of your worship experience you can come up here and take communion as part of that and we're gonna have our prayer teams that are gonna be up here as well, and they're here to minister to you. I think so often, and this—it's it's such a—I don't understand what our block is, but it's like that. We—it's like we—we we think we're okay, and we don't—we don't need or want somebody else to minister. And I think, why not? <laughs> why not have God work through somebody to pour hope and life and truth and healing and purpose? And that's what these men and women are, they'll just be hanging around up here in the front and in the back. They're here to just to minister to you, to pray over you, to speak life and to release truth over you, whatever it is that you're facing. And so, Father, as we take this moment, as the worship team leads us, Father, would you begin to recreate in us your order and your priorities as we start really this new season in the fall where our kids are going to school our grandkids are going to school and there's just kind of a a new life and a new rhythm going on that God, that we would plant ourselves first and foremost in you that we would allow you in the midst of all of our things we'd give you priority and so we put our focus we put our attention on you and we magnify your greatness in our lives come on, let's worship here together
2: Uh, as we were worshiping at the beginning of the service the Lord showed me this picture of a person uh, in my picture it was a man and they had a backpack on and the backpack was very, very heavy and they were struggling to walk at all and they were just crying out God, just make it go away just make it go away and they, they wanted to just dump the backpack and the Lord said, my ways are higher and he came and he He didn't pick up the person. He picked up the backpack that was connected to the person. And they were lifted up, and and their feet were just like barely touching the ground. And then for a while, they wouldn't touch the ground, and then they would a little bit. And the Lord was moving them forward. And he said, I'm not taking the burden away because there's things I'm going to do through it. But he said, I am going to carry it for you, and I'm going to take you to a supernatural place where you walk above that thing
0: you know i think you know more than anything when god asks the question where are you and when we are open and honest with the needs that we carry with whatever's happening it it opens the door for god to do exactly that picture to come and carry those things that that you are going through and I think this is one of the things I love about us gathering together, you know, on in, in, in times like this, because, you know, God wants to speak directly into your situation. And uh, at the beginning, uh, you know, you heard Haley even say, I feel like the Lord wants you to know that he sees you, that he sees what you're going through, that he's right there with you, that he loves you, and he's carrying you. And... Uh, it's this is what this is about. <laughs> um, this is why we need each other. This is why to insert these godly rhythms in our life and and uh, you know I think it's such an honor for us as a community to come around the Pickin family and the Clark family and Um, as they're walking through crisis that we come along and we're those who actually come alongside of God and are there to help pick up too and just to add and with our own generosity if you've ever been through a crisis there's nothing like having people around you who will pick you up we all need it and your time will come all of our times will come when we walk through crisis and you'll want that and so as I mentioned before this is what we call group Sunday this is where we just kind of highlight different groups that are existing you'll see groups that are coming and going and they're always on our website and we do a printout Um, but, uh, but here is always the always there's only one question that should ever cross any of our minds and that question is not whether or not you should get in a group the only question is which one that's it because if we're going to do this re- godly, healthy, relational rhythm, it's not a question of whether or not I should. It's just a question of which one am I going to jump into and which people are, are, am I going to connect with. And, which is the reason why if you've never gone through Catalyst, let me encourage you to let that be your one. This semester, jump into Catalyst. This semester, connect there as a, in a relational journey with God, with others. Um, if you've started Catalyst but you haven't finished, get going two, go into three. Um, all of those are starting this next week. And if you've already done Catalyst, get into one of these other groups: um, ladies' groups, men's groups. You can find all of that in the little handout that's on your seat. You can stop by, and meet the group leaders around. As well, then, before you leave, you know, I I can't say that the weather's a problem, but I'm because I'm so grateful for rain. You know, I, you know, now living here in Texas for three years, I've forgotten what rain sounds like. And it's shocking to see it, it's shocking to hear it. And I, I hate that that's the norm. But I love seeing and feeling the rain. And, and so I'm not dissing the rain at all today. It just makes it a little bit more challenging. You can't go outside and eat. You're going to have to go upstairs to get your food. You can also carry out. You don't have to eat there. But just be generous, would you please? And maybe if you, can, if you don't want to get food, just go ahead and just give. Um, you can give. We have, we have the square that you can do it with your card or you can do it with check or you can do it with cash. Uh, let's just bless these families. All right, everybody? Let me just take a blessing over you Um, before we're dismissed. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Sunday.